0: What's good, game devs? If you're checking out GDC 2021 virtually, you can catch me moderating a tech design panel entitled Avoid an Identity Crisis as a Technical Designer. If you're into tech design, you won't want to miss it. It goes live Thursday, July 22nd at 8.30 in the morning Pacific time. So that's 11.30 Eastern. It'll feature some fantastic veterans, including Alan Blaine from Bungie's Destiny, Alicia Thayer from Crystal Dynamics on Avengers, and Don from Volition and Saints Row, Jerome Perron, my homie from WB Games Montreal, currently on Gotham Knights, and Rusty Semsprot, currently at Arcane Austin, who is working on Redfall. If you're still looking for tickets and want to save 10%, I want out of play area listeners to use my speaker's discount code for 10% off. That's code CMGDC10. Come through and support. Now, let's get on with our episode. On episode 12 of Out of Play Area, the Game Developers Podcast, we feature animator Chris Torres, currently working as an animation director for Bluepoint Games out of Austin, Texas. He's a 14 year veteran whom I've worked with at Midway on Blackside Area 51, who's gone on to work for Retro on Nintendo classics like Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropical Freeze, and worked on remasters for Shadow of Colossus, and most recently Demon Souls for the PlayStation 5. We'll talk about what led him into games what excites him about technical animation, and what it means to be a director to him, and more. By way of Seattle, Washington, please welcome Chris Torres. Let's start the show.
1: Bienvenido, bienvenue, Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast, a show by video game devs for game devs, where the guests open up one-on-one about their journey, their experiences, their views, and their ideas. No ads, no bullshit. Join us as we venture far out of the play area
0: with your host, seasoned game designer, John Diaz. On the job, the best work comes from being able to be candid, be real, and give 100% clear, constructive feedback to be like, hey, these are the expectations. This is where I'm seeing this, and this is what we need to get it there, right? And then only good work can come from that, I imagine. Yeah, everything comes from like craved discussions, right?
1: Not arguments, Craved discussions, I would like to call it. Where do you draw the line between a discussion and an argument? An argument is sometimes where it's more about your ego. Oh, right? And then a creative discussion is all about making a better product.
0: Okay, where it's not you or I talk, it's like the thing, the game, the animation. Yeah, animation,
1: rigging, the way it does it, whatever, UI. When you can have that creative discussion without having your ego involved, losing the argument, that's kind of where I believe the difference from argument to creative discussion comes to play.
0: That's good. Well you're just debating or arguing for the sake of I don't want to give, I want to take, or I want to win. That's a clear indication of you're in an argument. Yeah, not discussing thing. Okay, I like that. That's a good metric. It That's is. a powerful metric. Thanks. How are you feeling, cuz? How's the ATX treating you? I came into this eagerly anticipating some news, but I don't know. I will be moving to Seattle here in like end of April. Or
1: mid-April?
0: Yo! Yo, that's exciting for, uh, for Seattle blood out here.
1: Yeah, I'll be uh, moving up there. I rented out my place. I got good renters coming in on early April. Nice. And so I just have to make my way up there.
0: Oh, shit. So April, May, we can roll out the red carpet for Chris Torres? That's right. Oh, damn. It took a while. It took long enough. How long have you been in Austin? Oh, since 2007, really. Since we kicked in the door, waving the faux faux on this game industry.
1: Yeah, man, I've been here ever since. been treated well here, so
0: I'm taking advantage
1: of the whole COVID thing, working from home. I'm going to go see my nephew and niece grow up, so that's the whole point of me coming back. Well, and have friends, have good friends like Family and
0: friends. Yeah. Close the family and friends. Get up in our bubble. Get out of the loneliness down there. A little shout out, maybe uh, get on a boat.
1: I hear, you know, I I, I hear, uh, you know, some people like Nick had a boat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think co-captain is Danny on that boat. Is that right? Oh Um, man, that's going to be a party, party (laughs) boat. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I recorded an episode with Danny. Yeah, nice. Nick will be on. He doesn't know it yet, but he will be on. He will be on soon. Artist extraordinaire. Got my design buddies, and now. Your Bloody Mary looks official. Yours too. You got the two pick. I love the suggestion, man. You're going to be the first Bloody Mary. Well, mine's a Bloody Maria. Mine's a Austin Bloody Mary with Tito's. Tito's, hey. So Queen, the spot across the street that where I go to for my Bloody Mary mix, they make it with Tito's vodka.
1: Yeah, I'm going to call Tito's. Hopefully, they, you know you can like tag them.
0: I'll tag Tito's, whether oh, they yeah, like it or not. When tag them. We, we don't affiliate with them Seattle dudes. I'll be like, hey, man, I used to throw down in Austin. That's right. In the mean streets of they're, the ATX. They're everywhere there, though, now. Yeah. Yeah, Tito's is exporting everywhere, bro. I see yeah. their bottles at all the liquor stores I go to. That's right, man. Whenever I go somewhere, I'm like, give me a vodka cran. Tito's only. Hey, cuz. Santé, salut. Salute. Cheers, man! It's something about that breakfast in a glass. How do you like yours, man? I got mine. I'd be like, "Yo, I want spicy." So they do horseradish, Fresno chilies, oh, and pickled something. I always try to get a little habanero in there, but the bacon—you, you already know about the bacon. The
1: bacon's it, and I have to have pickled stuff. Like if they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh, we only have olives," I'm like, "No, I don't want it." Sorry,
0: you guys don't take your game seriously. So, Chris, you are the first animation director that comes on the show, cuz. Oh. So, I definitely want to lean into all that knowledge and expertise of getting there, cuz animation is life. Design is just sketches and ideas and static things, right? And until we get animations to bring life and realization to that, it's a completely different vibe. So I'm ready to dive head first into that world, bro, because it's big and important in the industry.
1: You know what? I'm going to bring you to any job interview I have in the future and be like, ask him why animation is important. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm curious. I want to know what was your original intent, and I want to know if it was games, because I suspect it might have been something else. When you went to school for animation. Animation. I went to animation because of Toy Story. Oh, yeah.
1: part one? Yep, part one. Oh my goodness, yes. Saw that movie, didn't really like understand it, and so I went to Ringling School of Art and Design. I think they're called Ringling College of Art and Design now. That's where I got taught. That was the real deal there.
0: Were they teaching you primarily all 3D? Do you have a little bit of like hand animation, anything like that?
1: We did a little hand animation there.
0: Don't remember if it was one semester
1: or two semester. I think it was one semester of 2D. And then we got all into 3D from modeling, ringing, drawing, previs, storyboarding. I mean, every little bit. They were mainly focused on you getting into movie industry. Okay. Not as much games, but they did start a game department. Right before
0: I graduated, I think they started that program. What was the big movie at the time? What was the thing that was like, oh, this is the bar right here? While going to school? Yeah. Wow, that was that, that's a hard one. I'm wondering if it was like Lord of the Rings or something no. like that. It wasn't like those kind of movies that brought me into it. It was more
1: straight 3D, like the Pixar movies, like Finding Nemo, Incredibles. That was a huge oh.
0: Because Incredibles Incredibles was their first time doing humans like on screen with like hair and real crazy facial expressions.
1: Yeah, it was a little more stylistic, right? There was other companies out there that were trying to do more a little realistic and get those human features, which never really worked as well. But when they did stylistic is when it was great because they weren't trying to make them look human, really. They were trying to make them like your Sunday morning cartoons, Mm -hmm. you know? So it, it worked out. I mean, Incredibles was crazy too, because for a little while when I was in Sarasota, that movie came out and they had in the movie theater, probably AMC. Hopefully AMC go up. Stock.
0: <laughs> you, got, you got stock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, call out to AMC. Out. <laughs> but hey, double down. Hold on. They had the window
1: decals and everything, and they had Incredibles stuff. So I was yeah. like, "Hey, can I get this?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, just come out after the movie. You know, done showing, and we'll give you all these things." So they had this like little logo of the Incredibles posters. They were like window vinyl. Yeah, like they. It was like sticky on the windows. And they had just the eye logo, Incredibles. So I stuck that in the back of my car, on the back window. Yeah, anything. Got that, and then
0: I had like this big Mister Incredible, and I stuck that on my sliding door. So what was it about Incredibles that you just kind of fell hardcore fanboy about? I mean, it's that whole superhero, you know? Yeah,
1: it, it was yeah. superhero, and it was about family.
0: Totally, totally. Which if we want to get meta about it, is what's bringing you back up to Seattle after running in the dirty a for over 10 years. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that way. It's a big part of your life. I owe it all to the Incredibles. So Incredibles came out. Toy Story from Pixar drove you down the animation path. Incredibles is prominent again from Pixar and Disney. You're in Ringling. You're still going through the curriculum at this time. Yeah and you're learning all the things in animation. Was there any one particular aspect of animation that was like, oh, this is what I wanna do more of. This is what I wanna to continue to do. Or it, was it kind of the whole package for you? I always enjoyed
1: technical kind of stuff. And that's why I think I've also became a technical animator in my career. Yeah. I think I spent most of my time as a technical animator in my career. The whole rigging, it's all about like solving problems. Yes. And, I, and I really enjoy that. It's almost like puzzles you know, trying to figure out that solution to figuring out that one problem. And when you figure it out, you feel so good. So I always enjoyed that. But during school, you're just learning so many things. So you don't really focus on just one Mm -hmm. thing. They train you to really become a full blown CG artist all the way through and through. So you have a better understanding. I I mean, I, I do owe it to them to kind of give me that round base. So I could talk to an environment artist I can talk to designers now and engineers. They kind of get you ready
0: for the industry there, is how I put it. It seems like they did a great job. They teach you everything. You're not really specialized in any one particular thing. And then once you get out into the industry working, you can figure out what you want to specialize, right? Or what you have to do. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, So did you put together a demo reel? Was there anything in particular in there? When you graduate there... You create a, they call it a thesis,
1: your senior Mm -hmm. thesis, which is like a two-minute short movie. Two minutes? Okay. Around two minutes. It could be shorter. The whole senior year we're there, we're kind of in 3D making that senior thesis. So when you graduate, you use parts of that and parts of your other projects that you've been doing during your senior year. Send out a demo reel. That demo reel got me my internship at Midway where I met you guys in 2007. Yes. Yes. Was it a paid internship? That was a paid internship. It was pretty good paid. Yeah, I remember too, because we were hourly. And so anytime they were like, hey, anybody
0: (laughs) want to do some OT? I'm like, hell yeah,
1: (laughs) sign me up.
0: At least you guys had the option, man, for us salaried folk, bro. It was just do or die, right? Like it's our name on the content. It's like, hey, it's going to be as good as you make it. And that's why you always saw me in the trenches, head down deep into the late hours. Oh, Now you know my secrets because I was getting paid hourly. Motherfucker. <laughs> hey, props to you because because you were super generous with your OT because you would always be like, hey, let's go out to eat. Let's go out to drink. First round's on me or I, you know, whatever. i was just like, ah, I can't turn that down. It was a great
1: time. It's those friendships and memories that you'll always remember. I mean, money... You can always make more money. Is what I've always been heard. It's more about the memories you make.
0: There's so many fucking memories from Midway, man. I look back and the team that we had, the people that were there. You know, we had this amazing balance of extremely veteran people. I don't know about you, but I know I had a lot of design talent to look up to and aspire to be and learn from, right? Like Harvey Smith, people like Scott Lang, people like Scott Carpenter, Brian Hess, people like this. And then in my immediate circle, right, we were all kind of coming up hungry, kind of learning from each other. Did you find that you had that at Midway from an animation perspective or even from like a management director lead perspective? Yeah, I mean, I can think of a
1: few people that still my friends today, they were my bosses. It was like Nick Carter. He was more the Nick. technical animator there. That guy who did Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, he was all over Weta. He, he told me about that. I was like, so jealous of that guy. I was like, man, <laughs> I want to go work at Weta and go to New Zealand. But he was like, man, it's a lot of work. You know, you're just <laughs> always working. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> who else was there? Mookie Wisebro. Mookie Wisebro yeah one of my favorites still a good friend of mine today. didn't he help you move uh yeah dude he he's super nice. I mean, I'm still honest. we're on family plan together on for a phone. <laughs>
0: hey that's serious then man that's serious well we say that real friends will help you through tough times or you know hang out but like true friends will help you fucking move man pack and load your shit and unpack it and unload it that's a real commitment right there
1: yeah and so now as old as i am when someone says hey chris i need help moving i said hell no i'll donate like 50 bucks to you <laughs> I, I i'm not gonna break my back or anything like that uh, i'll <laughs> give you 50 bucks
0: that's one-fourth of hiring movers for two hours. There you go. Oh, yeah. Man, you know, I was cheap laborer. I like lifting heavy shit for whatever reason. And all you got to do is tell me, hey, beer and pizza on me, and I'm there. I'm like, hey, I'm going to get a free workout, and you're going to buy me pizza and beer, and we get to talk shit and kick it. Psh, I'm there. See,
1: the difference between me and you is that you work out. I, I don't. It's <laughs> so, my old age. <laughs> you just eat smart. You just eat smart. Uh, who else right. was there? Oh.
0: Tony Bonilla. Tony Bonilla. Yo, that guy, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. I have not heard his name in ages. And again, right, I was extremely junior. First game, first job, whatever. And he was super approachable and humble and would school me. Anytime I'm asking him about like, yo... Octodog ain't doing the thing. I'm trying to hook up this animation. He would school me. No problem. Speak to me in plain English. You know what I'm saying? Never condescending. Super excited about his job. I love that dude. Shout out to Tony. Yeah. Talk about schooling. I would school that guy on ping pong all the time. Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. So that's the
1: one thing, man, I think was huge over there is that they had a ping pong ladder which is like a bracket system. And when I heard about that, I was like, ooh, I'm going to get into this. You would start all the way at the bottom. Of, yep. It it's
0: probably like 20 deep, probably. Uh, yeah, it was around there, 20 or Because everybody played ping pong. There was engineers, yeah. designers, animators, artists, audio guys. And that's
1: how I met a lot of people in a short time. Because I was only there for like two months and a half for
0: my internship. How did it work? Like, did you have to go manually challenge people or send an email or something? Yeah. You send an email and then there was rules too. It was like, if you email
1: this person twice and they forfeit, like they say they can't do it. Then you oh, just jump ahead of them. And then you can nice. only like challenge people like three or four steps above you or five steps above you. in the latter. And so that's where I met Tim Little. He was the the tech director there at Midway at the time.
0: Yeah. He was like head of tech at Midway. It was, I remember whenever I think about like our amazing tech stack, I think of three names. I think of Tim Little. I think of Stephen Hurd. Stephen Hurd. Yeah. No, Steve Bromley. Yeah. British dude. Yup. Steve Bromley yeah. and Stephen Hurd. Those are the three names that come to mind when I think about our, our engineering, like Triforce powerhouse team. And, you know, the rest, they're good too. Just, you know.
1: <laughs> you just don't, don't wanna.
0: <laughs> it's my old age, man. My, my memory. You know what I'm saying? If I haven't seen a name on LinkedIn or Facebook, you know, it, it fades. But everybody was awesome. Again, mm-hmm. right? I was a noob, junior green designer, fresh out of school, not knowing what I was doing. Yeah, it was a great time there, man. That's unfortunately so they closed down. But I came back for a little bit after my schooling. But you, you had your internship, yeah. And then after we shipped Blackside Era Fifty One. Oh, hey, hold on! You animated the intro, the reveal for the Fire Brute. Yeah, was that was your that, baby? Yeah, that, that was your baby. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but I felt like we were just hanging out by proxy right? Like beers, food, whatever, Overtime, we're just hanging out and kicking it. But I want to say that that's how we had to work together in that the reveal for the fire brew was not my level. I believe it was the level before me, but it was in my level on top side where you fight the dude for the first time. Yeah. I don't know how or why, man. My memory's super foggy, but I remember you had the reveal, and so it was just like I remember you asked coming over to for feedback or whatever to be like, "Hey, look at this, check this out." And me being the, "Yo, this is my level. How the hell does this unravel, unfold?" And being super pumped and hyped to be like, "Oh, that's amazing, bro!" Like he comes in and punches the helicopter out of the sky, whatnot, and then you crash, because the way games are made is super fragmented, man. Like I'm in this level, and I don't, and all I know is that like, okay, this is where we start. Helicopter crash. Some people die (laughs) and you start to love from here, like very little context basically is what I'm saying. So at the tail end of the project, I finally get that context to be like, oh, this is what happens. That makes much more sense now. I don't know if you remember that shit. I I do remember The Brute. I mean, I remember I I even did like back then
1: doing video reference. So me and Tony would go to the breakout room and get on all fours because The Brute was this like four-legged creature. Yeah, what do you call those quadrupeds? Yeah, we stacked up the pillows because from the couches there was couches in the middle room, and so we stacked up
0: these couches and kind of acted like the brute. We're like, rah! <laughs> what do you do? Do you see? So you, so you just use like regular camera and capture you guys doing this stuff. Yeah, no, no mocap. No mocap. No, mo-cap studio. no, no, no
1: mocap studio. It was just capturing on video to try to figure out how it would look, and so that's how we did that. We got on fours and started acting
0: like little wild beasts breaking through pillows. So that was all hand animated, right? What do you call that? You call that like keyframed? Is that keyframed? Yeah, that... keyframed. Now uh, all the kids are using mocap. Seems like that's all that people do. It is.
1: I mean, but I I was for a long time against mocap, but I've changed my mind with it throughout the years. It's just mm-hmm. there's no way an animator is going to be able to animate 300 moves in a day, right? There's just no way. When you do mocap, you can capture 300 moves easily. Yeah, it takes a couple of weeks, maybe it takes a week or a few days, but it's pretty quick and pretty clean for what you need. And I don't know an animator quick enough to do as many moves as mocap. So if you're doing a game that you could use mocap, that's more bipedal. I see the benefit. If It's not cartoony, things like that.
0: I, I wouldn't shy away from mocap anymore. What was your hesitation? Like, what's the trade off, right? If you go like no mocap to mocap? <laughs>
1: Well, I think as an animator, like a traditional animator, a 3D animator who wanted to get in movies, like in the Pixar, you're kind of trained in your head that you're like, I only do keyframe, you know, like it's this elitism. Sorry, if there's animators that are hating me right now. But it, I feel like that's where my hang up. It's like, oh, I want to be like those Pixar guys or Disney guys, and that I want to be fully keyframe and not take my motions from other places. But even the best guys did rotoscoping what's rotoscoping it's called using reference but it's rotoscoping is basically using that actual video and putting your paper on
0: top of it and drawing right on top of it so you're capturing the same motion oh man yeah if you're like stenciling or tracing like that come on you're starting from somewhere for sure as opposed to like from scratch yeah the original mocap right there i don't know if that's true or not rotoscoping look it up motherfuckers So Midway, Ships, Black Sight, most of us move on to, I think there's like a branching path. There's two code name projects. One's Paladin, one's Criminal. And then Criminal gets canceled. I'm looking for work. And I think you stay behind on Paladin. At this point, are you full-time? I was full-time. I came back in 2008,
1: got hired. As rightfully you should have. (laughs) Thanks. It was funny because it was my first time and I was at the airport when I got the call and someone said, oh, don't come in on Monday.
0: <gasps> oh, shit.
1: I was like, what? What's going on? And I was on the airport going to SIGGRAPH. Yeah. And they gave me a call and said, hey, don't come in on Monday. And I was like, I wasn't planning on what's going on. And they were like, well. <laughs> this is like summer 08. Yeah. So they were like, this is a big layoff going on. Damn,
0: you knew. When did you get that call? I think like Sunday. It was Sunday. Oh, my like, gosh. Sunday or Saturday. Damn, bro, you knew. That must have weighed on you, man, because I'm just like, da, da da going into work on Monday, <laughs> normal day. Yeah, you guys got blindsided. Completely,
1: man. You were at Sigraph at the time. I was at Sigraph. yep, and so I basically was there for a week while the rest of you guys cleaned up, got out. Yeah, it became like a small 30-man studio by the time we got back, maybe 30, 40 people compared to like it was 150 to 200, if I'm right. Yeah. So yeah, I stayed on, on Paladin, and, but the news of Midway was just all going bad, really bad, and it wasn't looking good for Midway at the time.
0: Even though that project was awesome, man, you guys had amazing talent, and the I remember the reference and the visuals and the prototyping on Paladin looked amazing, right and it was really harnessing vanilla unreal 3 strengths right you guys weren't trying to do anything crazy with it that it wasn't meant for like open world streaming and things like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah open world But it looked awesome, man, and, and the theme was powerful. I'm curious, bro. Like I, I don't know too much about that time, right? I just know the, the scope of the project, the people you work with. But now Midway is like a small team. And what's going through your mind at this point, right? With all the news coming in and housing bubble bursting and things like this, big project getting canceled. Well, like at the time it was a little scary, right? Because they help you
1: relocate and that's like ten to twelve thousand dollars of relocation fee. They're doing the good friend bit. Like, hey, I'm not going to yeah. help you. I'm not going to move for you, but I'll pay for you to move. <laughs> so yeah, Midway did that. But there was a two-year clause on that one where if you leave before two years, you would have to pay for it. Yes. And so I felt like I was like somewhat trapped in a way, because I couldn't really look for a new job or else I would have to pay for that money. And I was like, I'll just
0: wait. Which is a lot of money, bro. 10,000 might not sound a lot to the people that have been doing this for a while, but back then when you're first breaking in, that's a lot of cash I have to fork up at once. That is. So
1: kind of stayed around and they saw the potential in Paladin, and the group. And so they kind of offer us benefits for staying. And eventually, I think we were trying to shop Paladin around Mm -hmm. and and it was a little hard time for everybody because the, the whole economy was going kind of down in 2008. Everybody, not just games. Yeah. Yeah. And so nobody was really trying to invest millions and millions of dollars into a game, which is sad because we did have a really good group of people and it would have been great to continue it.
0: Yeah, because you see a few of the other Midway studios like Nether Realms, got picked up by WB. I forgot the other Midway projects. I feel like Wheelman got picked up by somebody there was one called Vegas that was up in Seattle. Did that get picked up? I don't think so, bro. Paladin should have got picked up. Again, Like, don't give me money because uh, you give me money, bro. I know where I'm investing that shit, like. I'm not, I'm not meant to be a suit. All right, bro. So, Paladin, you see the writing on the wall. You're kind of handcuffed because they relocated you. Eventually, history, as history tells it, Midway goes bankrupt.
1: Yeah, Midway goes bankrupt. And I remember the day that they had to shut down Midway Studios. I think I learned this lesson. So, when doors start to close a lot more often, you know things are going down the drain because uh, all the like, leads doors started closing and having private conversations.
0: So these are the signs to look out for.
1: Yeah. So yeah, they closed down. And when a studio closes down and they like to take care of their people, they give you a little severance package. Like how long were you good for? It was around two to three months. Okay. So I think we we were released on 2008, December, around there. Yeah. Early December. I was just sitting around with my, my roommate who was working for Bioware at the time. Is that Andrew Loretta? That was Andrew
0: Loretta. What we call him? What's his nickname? We call him Sauce Man. Happy Feet, whatever, man. That guy would dance <laughs> something right away. Oh yeah, he's a great guy to party with, man. Yeah, old EA blood, hell yeah. Oh, I was just sitting around, man. I would be
1: grabbing Jamba Juice every day, waking up at like ten, turning on my Xbox
0: at a time, playing some Halo. Oh, we got. I think we got two months severance as well when when Criminal got blowing up. And so, as I understand it, 2 months severance is pretty sweet and pretty generous and not the norm for people that were only at the company like a year or so. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. or less. Or less. Um, yeah.
0: I was surprised. I was
1: surprised that we were going to even get severance because, you know, they were filing for bankruptcy. So, I was like, well, shit, we're going to get anything back? But anyways, I was just sitting there just playing Halo every day, man, going to Jamba Juice. And that's where I would see Dougie every once in a while. Doug Burton, he, yep. he came on to the show. He was the inaugural episode, episode one. Yeah. So we would see each other there every once in a while. And eventually one of the guys that I was playing ping pong with, Tim Little, hit me up on email like sometime probably late January. He was like, Hey, we're looking for an
0: animator. So it's like a month later.
1: Yeah. He was Damn, like, Hey, we're good. looking for an animator
0: here at Retro. Are you still looking? This is Retro Studios Nintendo, right? Like Metroid yeah. Prime, Donkey Kong. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country Returns. So
1: I applied there. And I eventually got the job there and were hanging out over there
0: for seven years, I believe. Seven years, damn. What was that like? Is that like, hey, here's my demo reel? Or is it because, hey, you're being referred? That one I had to use a demo reel for. Do you have to polish it up with all your Midway stuff? You know, honestly, I don't
1: think I showed them any of that because it was only... (laughs) I I, I showed them what I graduated with. Wasn't your best work? Is that what you're saying? No, Midway had good stuff. It was I wasn't really computery at all as, as heavily on video capturing. And so all the video mm. I was capturing there, it was captured at like 24 frames or something yeah. a second. And so it was blurring and making it really blurry. Yeah, different frame rates. Yeah, yep. I get it. And so I, I don't think I used that. And I just showed them my original demo reel and eventually got hired. Had to compete out from a couple other people is what I've been told. When I got that job. So what exactly does that mean? There was other companies going down, or a lot of people didn't really have jobs, so there was a lot of other animators in the industry applying for the same job. It's a fire sale for talent, right? Midway's closing, a few other places close. Yeah, there was quite a bit of applicants, and I I warmed myself in
0: with my wit. With your wit, meaning if on paper you guys all have good skills, who's kind of like the cool guy that beats my ass in ping pong kind of thing?
1: (laughs) No, I think it's like who you can see yourself talking to, you know? okay on a, on a daily basis, who do you see yourself grabbing a beer with kind of deal? like if you were, guys were out out back in a smoke break, even though I don't smoke, who would you want to be talking to? You know there there were certain people out there that if you were out on smoke break, if someone would come out, you would all just go back in. <laughs> Damn. I, it, it's horrible to hey. say, but sometimes you it know, happens. like there's certain people
0: that you just don't click with, Sure. Sure, that's just human nature. That's just the way the laws of attraction and chemistry work, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So because of your nature, your approachability, the way that people just enjoy your company. I hope. I think. I vouch. I vouch for you because
1: Thanks. Yeah, I was there for a long time and there's still people I talk to today.
0: I consider friends and family there. Yo, Nintendo, man. Nintendo, to me, for all intents and purposes, I know my roots. I know the industry, you know, Atari. But Nintendo, for me, for when I go back in time and talk to little John Diaz, you know, is kind of where it all starts. You know, the OGs, the originators, Super Mario Brothers, Zelda, Donkey Kong, Star Fox, things like this. Yeah. How the hell did it feel to be a part of Nintendo? Please, for like 80% of the industry that's never been on the inside of Nintendo. What, What can you tell us? Nintendo was awesome, man. And it's small, right? Small team. We were at like 50 people. That's tiny. We were at 50 people in the
1: beginning. And they put out such quality, bro. Such quality. It was great, man. It was a lot of passionate people there. That's where I started really talking to everybody really a lot more there and trying to figure out how all the games worked. I mean, I grew up on Mario. Those memories that you would have with you and your brother playing Mario. Fighting over who's Luigi. Yeah, it was one of the best times. I mean, I mean, animating Donkey Kong and Diddy
0: Kong. icons. And so expressive, like Nintendo games are very special because they don't rely on natural speech to convey emotion. They're they're super emotional through the facial expressions, through the body language, through the gestures, right? Because they try to make their games internationally approachable, right? Yeah, universal, you know, in a way. Universal, yeah, that's a great word. They think about those kind of things, colors, Mm.
1: facials,
0: shapes. I mean, design language has to be universal. Amen. Yeah. So at Retro, what was different about the job as an animator than what it was like at Midway? Oh, well, Midway, when I went back, I was the solo animator. It was me and Nick
1: Nick Carter, because it was a small, I was 12th man on team coming to Paladin. And so I was the only animator with Nick. And so going to Retro, you had a lead animator. And then I think there was like eight other animators. So I, I was coming in. To another place with just tons of animators and tons of senior guys there. So no ping pong table.
0: Ah, oh, so how, how do you get down, man? How do you establish dominance and, and the pecking order?
1: Everybody was super cool and everybody wanted to just kind of help each other get better at animation. It was the wild, wild west back then at Retro. Everyone would rig their own characters. We would all kind of have animation and you would work with a designer and just kind of figure out what animations you needed. It was it was crazy. Plus, we didn't have Perforce back then. What the fuck? How do you make a game without source control? We didn't have source control. They had it on the IT side, but uh-huh. we, were, we were all through network. Like shared drives? Like just straight up sending files over the network? No, it, we were working off the network branch and running our game off the network branch. So if someone checked anything in, it was live wow. right at that moment.
0: Let's be fair. So the only thing you're running the risk of is that there is no source control to roll back. Like, hey, this is broken as fuck. Let's roll back. You would have to go through IT. Okay. I think that's manageable on a 50-person team. That's extreme as hell, but I guess. It was different. (laughs) But the problem is, like, sometimes
1: as artists, you would work at late at night, like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. IT wasn't there what do you do so if you break it people are mad at you because it was live right because at one one time like somebody could break it and then
0: the next time you try to run it again it would be broken you wouldn't know why again you you can't go see revision history like that you have to go to it right to be like yeah right, when did something? and wow. then you, you would be like uh i need it like from three days ago damn yo nintendo runs lean god damn they cut and cost every way they can they just were used to their old ways. And then the next sure. project, we had Perforce. Okay. Okay. You guys made enough of a hey, postmortem. This is how we make things better. Get fucking Perforce. Yeah. It
1: was crazy, man. I, I still remember that. I, I still laugh at those days because if you break the game, man, you were the most wanted man. Everybody's hunting you down. Were you ever the culprit? One time we were, but me and um, a friend of mine, we were staying late and we're like, I was like, it broke. How did it break? Help me, help me, help me, please. And oh, this guy, he was a good Street Fighter player. So, what?
0: Yo, talk to him more. (laughs) This guy, Street Fighter, though, which version? It's the version I hate. I I hated that version.
1: Third Strike? Was it the Third Strike with the forward block parry? Yes, Third Strike. Yeah. That's the one we
0: had at Midway. Me
1: and him used to play there, but he used to kick my ass all the time with with Perry. Yeah, I, yep, I just couldn't yep. do it. He used to play Yugo. Uh, Was it Hugo? Another big, yeah, big the dude. grappler.
0: Yeah, like Zangief. used you play Ryu? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. He would whip my ass all the time. So yeah, that game. That game is amazing. And if you got Perry's down, you got the advantage for sure. That's exciting about retro. What were the games you worked on over there? Uh worked on Donkey Kong Country Returns.
1: Didn't really work on Mario Kart 3DS. Just a tiny bit of code that I wrote to help people. And then after that, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze.
0: Dude, that game is is still on my queue. Now that they put it out on the Switch, I'm going to get my hands on it. Because the design on that one's awesome. Donkey Kong Country Returns is fantastic. At Retro, you weren't like pure technical animator. You were doing everything. You were rigging. You were animating. In oh, the wow. first first two years while I was there, I was probably
1: just an animator and we were doing rigging, we were doing everything and then after that, I, I felt like there was an inefficiency on our rigging and so I started getting into technical animation, learning Python, learning Mel. So you guys worked on Maya. Yeah, yeah, Maya always. Always Maya, hey! There you go. I'm a, I'm a Maya head, man. Stake your claim. There was this little hole, little gap, and I was like, I, I like solving problems. I like learning new things, constantly learning. So Python was cool. Like I really hated the inefficiency of like as a rigor. We wouldn't animate off the joints, so we would always have controllers on top of joints to move them. Some middle thing communicating. Easy things to grab. And you would always have to manually do that beforehand. And so I, I started writing scripts to quicken that and make that better because I got tired of doing the exact same thing over and over. And I was like, There has to be a better way, because I hate wasting like hours within the day, you know, just doing that. It's monotonous, right? It's tedious work. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you're just doing over and over the same thing. So, you know, I talked to smarter people about me and they were like, oh, you need to learn mail scripting. Oh. And they're like, well, you should learn Python, but you should start with MEL."
0: Man, Mel's rough compared to Python. It is. Uh, C++ is rougher. Here's what I'll say. My code background and I have mind you, I haven't written C++ since school, probably. All that really separates one coder from another is just like their debugging tools and their mastery of debugging and prowess and things like this, right? So C++ has a lot of sweet debugging tools out there. Whereas Mel, Mel on the other hand, I think you, you, you're on your own. You got to make all this shit from scratch. Well, you said what differentiates every code language.
1: I think it's how well you could search Google.
0: For sure. For sure, right? And knowing yeah. the
1: correct, correct words and the correct keywords to get the correct answer you're looking for, right? That's the key of every different language is that you just have to learn those keywords to type in to figure out what you're trying to do. That brings me up to an interesting question.
0: Are there any like animator, Maya, Mel forums, or places that you go to for reference or help at all? Or is that all like tribal knowledge? For
1: rigging, coding kind of like being a technical artist there Mm -hmm. is a a slack channel out there i've heard of this i think it's techartist.org if i'm right well i hate this word but i'm more of a creeper in there you know (laughs) what does a creeper mean what does that allude to i don't really participate i just read okay you you lurk I lurk, lurk. There we go. Creeper is a a horrible word. Yeah, man, you lurk. Lurk is the correct word, yes. I just hang around, kind of
0: see what people are saying, catch, you know, those little tidbits of knowledge. That's a good point because I'm putting together some tech design focused talks and, and things and we're trying to start a Slack. And we always reference that. Like, hey, there's this huge tech artist community, right? And how do we model ourselves off of that? Or where do we learn from them? So I'm glad you bring them up. Yeah. I, I mean, I've learned
1: a few things there. And I don't use their forums, but used to be able to dig through their forums and see all the problems.
0: And that was a great place to kind of search. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's, that's where it started. That's where your transition into technical animation being kind of support class, building tools to help the rest of the team out at Retro. Yep. At
1: Retro and then fully, I became fully just a straight tech animator at a certain point during my seven years there. So
0: what do you give up to when you make that jump out of curiosity, right? Like thinking back to Chris Torres, watching Toy Story, watching Incredibles, like this is what I love, this is what I'm doing. And now you've evolved, right? You're like, yo, on another level now. Now this is the thing that needs to be done to bring the thing on screen you lose some of that creativity, right? Of animation, that art
1: background, and you become more of a support role. You become like that person that someone comes to and be like, Hey, I'm having a problem with this. And you're not generally working on art in general. You're working on tools, you're working on things like that. So you have to find enjoyment other places that I think that's when as an artist, you know, I started as artist. I lost some of that artisticness. So I picked up photography on the side to help supplement that, yeah. To still have that artistic creative outlet. Yep, did photography, a lot of travel photography, things like that. So that's what you kind of give up. It's weird because when you transition in every career, you start to give up other things and you have to find enjoyment in others. Mm -hmm. It is crazy. Yeah. I mean, we could get a little more into that. You know, when you progress in your career, you start to either figure out as a lead, you start to not really do any of the work here and there, maybe a little here and there, but your job is really to make sure everything's going right. You're supporting your guys, making sure they're learning and growing to be better tech artists, tech animators, Mm -hmm. animators, whatever they are. And that's your role.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I could see how transitioning into a support role like Pure Tech Art, Pure Tech Anim, then to take that to the next step in that support role where it's just like, yo, I want to keep helping. I see inefficiencies. And then you move into a leadership role or management role. When did that happen and when did you make that jump? So I left
1: Retro. I was working on an undisclosed title and I just felt like I was kind of just supporting and doing the exact same thing on a day-to-day, year-to-year. Seven years, man. That's a good run, bro. It is. So I decided to go to Blue Point Games, went there. They had a position for a, a tech animator. Did you know someone over there or how did you get in contact? Yeah, yeah. So the company was started from ex-employees of Retro, but I didn't know any of them. I knew my, he was a technical artist at Retro and he left to go to Mm Bluepoint. And we just stayed in contact throughout the years because we kind of learned Python together. Well, he knew Python and we started getting to the deeper fields of class objects and yeah, boy. Object orienting, programming, and things like that together, and so we started kind of talking a lot and trying to, you know, trade that knowledge.
0: That's so helpful, man. When you have someone going through the same problems as you are and being able to bounce ideas or try and error with somebody is is super helpful in learning anything, but definitely coding. Yeah, it's super helpful. So he left, and he
1: was like, "Hey, we need another tech animator. We're planning to do more animation in this uh, game. Do you want to come over?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's talk." and he was like, "Okay, come in, didn't send a demo reel. Your ringling demo reel <laughs> didn't need to come off the shelf, huh? It did not, and honestly, I'm horrible, and just you <laughs> shouldn't do what I do. I should have kept everything you know showing and creating archives of stuff that you've done, but I didn't do that, and so I went there, and they were like.
0: Just wanted to talk to me and they're like, how much money do you want? I was like, whoa. That's a nice conversation to jump into. Was it even a lunch? Was it an email? Was it, did you talk to anybody? Was it just straight up on the strength of the dude being like, hey, I know a guy, I'm going to bring him in. It was the strength of the dude. He was like, I know a guy, we didn't even do lunch. They just brought
1: me in a room with five people and it was like the owner, the HR, Chris, it was the technical artist that I knew. He was the technical director there at the time, the art technical director. So it was just kind of shooting the shit with me. And then eventually it was like, okay, okay well, you know, what do you want? And they didn't really ask about work. They just wanted to get to know me.
0: So they were trying to see if you're the type of guy that they can hang out with, have a beer with, <laughs> hang, you know, talk about things yeah. and be interesting. Yeah, dude. I see how the message keeps going persistently throughout this story. It is. Yeah,
1: they just talked to me. And then when I've been here for five years now, but when I was on Shadow, it was Shadow of the Colossus, the game I was working on and I got hired for. Oh man, the remake. That was the remake. Yeah, it was the first time they
0: really started touching animation and cleaning it up. That game is special, Chris. To this day, it's, it's an impactful experience for anybody that hasn't played Shadow of the Colossus. You got to play, that's all I'm going to say. That was a good game. I didn't like it, but whatever. But you played it at least. Oh, I played it. I played it. Okay, okay. It's not your cup of tea. It's not Halo.
1: I remember playing in the beginning, way when the first one before the remake, and that was interesting. It, it was a, it, it. It's so different because I was used mm-hmm. to having a lot of intermediate creatures that you would have to fight and attack. Yeah. When I was the non-mature Chris, I didn't really enjoy the fact of. The journey. Sure. Right? Sure. That's the difference, right? I was like the, I want to fight something. I want to kill something kind of guy. And that one was like, oh my God, I've got to travel for an (laughs) hour,
0: hour to get somewhere. In the world, it's just you, your horse, Otto, and the colossi. That's it. So I started there as just a tech animator.
1: There was supposed to be one more tech animator. He kind of left and they were like, what do you need, Chris? I was like, well, I need need animators. So you built the team or you built the department? I did. I was the only animator slash tech animator there. And so I I had to do some digging and figure out like, what do we need to fix? How much work it's going to be? And so that kind of started
0: my career as being somewhat of a lead. That's awesome. Talk about timing and opportunities, where it's it's not just a matter of, hey, here's a blank check. What do you want? It's more like, hey, I've been at this company. I've been doing the same things. I'm not growing. I'm not learning. And then you come into this opportunity where it's more than the salary, right? It's like, hey, we're bringing you in to build a team and define the problem you need to fix to build a game. In the beginning, no. It wasn't about like, hey, this is
1: your responsibility of building a team at all. It was like, you're, you're just going to be a tech animator slash animator here making this game look better. And then the other tech animator left. And then, you know, while you're digging into the project, you start learning how big it is and how many bosses there were, how many animations of the character there is, and then how many horse animations you had to fix. It, it was a ton of stuff that you had to do to make it look next gen. That's right. Because you're taking it from PS2 era... To PS4 era. Yeah.
0: Damn.
1: Uh, we had a little advantage because they did the remaster of it for PS3. They brought it.
0: There was an in-between, huh?
1: Yep, there was. Okay. They did the remaster, which is all just materials and rendering. So not a real remake.
0: Actually, yeah. Let's draw the line in the sand. Remaster is just like swapping textures and like up everything. And that's it. And so remake is, all right, you're building brand new assets from scratch for this building brand new assets, textures,
1: geometry, animations on a full scale. I mean, making new animations and making those decisions better than just taking what the data is on there and just making it beautifully enhanced is what I would like to call a remaster. Is that you're you're just trying to take what's there and just make it a little more prettier without going in and recreating so many assets.
0: Yeah, taking as many shortcuts as
1: you can. Yeah, With a remake, it's all about recreating new assets from scratch and that time and effort. Which is interesting because a remake, you don't really have to deal with the design creep, as I like to call it. <laughs> what you mean, Willis? What you talking about, man? We don't do that. It was nice not to really have to deal with design creep. Things constantly changing. You know, the designs is already done. It was great. What I like to say is is when a game studio is finished with their game and they want to go back and do things to it, we get to do those kind of things in the remake in the remake because we don't have to deal with figuring out what gameplay is going to feel like anymore yeah all
0: we're there to is make the art shine two questions come to mind you mean to say that you don't absolutely love to work with design after you've worked hard on an animation to get it just right you don't like to come back and check with designers what the fuck's up with that chris No, I like designers. It's just, it's a breath of fresh air sometimes when you don't have to to deal with it. (laughs) So I will say this, I think you bring up an interesting point in development, right? That the nature of what we do so often is we're spinning all the plates at once, right? You're like driving the bus as it's on fire and rebuilding the engine to the finish line, right? And things are falling apart and you're trying to glue them back on. In an ideal world, this shit is much more waterfall than agile. In my opinion, design would come first, art would come behind it to be like, all right, based on the design, here's what the world's gonna look and sound and feel like, and then that gets locked down and then handed off to animation to be like, all right, bro, you know, this is how things interact in this space, based off the design, and then you pass it on and so forth, right, to audio and then QA, right? Like, in my naive experience, that would be the ideal setup, but it's never like that, right? You're figuring shit out, things are changing, you gotta rebuild things. So to your point, I can see the appeal of, having locked gameplay and then your only concern is realizing that to the nth degree right like how high polish can we make this feel and look yeah so it's just a little different idea of what gameplay is and how that's done so yeah it was it was great different but good dude so five years in and i see you making broad strokes to be like y'all trying to keep leveling up trying to improve the culture the workflow enhance the team and your animation director and being the first animation director on the show, man, I want you to take the floor and talk me through what it's like being a director. What do you see people stumble that could be done better? How do you approach empowering your team and leading the discipline to do bigger, better, greater things?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's always a learning process, right? We're all yeah.
1: constantly learning. If I feel like once I stop learning, I'll die kind of deal. Or you look for another job. Or you look for another job. That is correct. Yeah. But with the first project, Shadow, I had two animators in-house, two animators kind of part-time doing some cinematic work for me on that project. And so that was like a two and a half, we'll say three, three animators that I had to manage at the time. And I was the sole technical animator where I was doing all the rigging, all the problem solving, figuring out like what are the things that we're going to try to polish, make look better, blend better, play the game constantly and try to figure out what looks so bad to make this not a next-gen game. And during that process, you learn that everybody is a different personality, right?
0: Yeah, different personality types
1: on a team. Nothing you do, you can't say, this is going to work for everybody, right? Like certain people, like certain animators, want more feedback more regularly, like on a daily basis. Some animators just want to be left alone for three days. Some animators don't want a work of 10 things That they have to disseminate and try to figure out what is priority. Some animators just want one thing at a time. That's so true. People work in different ways. And you learn that some people just want to be like buddy-buddy. Some people don't want to be buddy-buddy. And so you start to learn that you can't just say, everyone's going to do it this
0: way. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You got to mold and adapt the different types of people on your team. I like that, right? Because it makes it a more human job, right? Where it's about relationships, it's about knowing the people. It takes a, a lot, I think, actually, right? To invest yourself in knowing and identifying the type of people you're working with and what motivates them. I imagine that takes some time. It does. I should be doing this more often, but something I started doing
1: after that project is starting doing one-on-ones with my guys, even if it's 20 minutes. Nice. How often? I should do it more often, but this is once a month. It's just a time for us to kind of just talk and see how everything's going and build that bond outside of somewhat work. And it gives them a consistent understanding of time. This is your time with me to talk about, about everything and It's my time to say also like, hey, I think you're doing these things are great. You're doing and then these things that you're not doing as great and you can keep on working or just even saying, I see you working on these things. Mm -hmm. And it's a great acknowledgement, right? That a lot of times if you go through game dev, you don't really hear that. From people at all. Like, hey, you're doing a great job. Oh, I see, John, that you're adding better per-first notes into your check-ins. And I can see that in your per-first notes, you're doing X, Y, and Z. That is the time that helps reinforce the good things
0: of also that uh, a person can be doing. Keep doing these good things that you're already doing. You may not think I notice, but I do notice. And I want you to keep doing more of it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those. It's also, Hey, where do you want to go with your career?
1: And how can I help you? Yeah. The biggest part is when you do something like this as a manager, is that people don't have follow-through. When you say people, are you talking about the manager or the managee of the report? It comes from both sides, right? Both someone wants to say, I want to be a senior animator, you say, hey, I want you to figure out what a senior animator does. And if they don't follow through or come back with it, it it also falls off to the side. So you have to have follow-through as an employee, especially as a manager, that if you say you're going to do something, you better do it.
0: For sure i can respect that right like you can only to beat the old ass analogy right you can only lead a water to a horse right but they got to drink it kind of thing that's fair right like i think that's what i look for in my leads right is to remind me of the things i do well and highlight the things i could do better and definitely let me identify where i want to go and help lay out some type of path to that right but it's up to me to kind of spell out what i want to do and then take those steps Correct. Those one-on-ones come valuable. And I I believe
1: everybody should kind of take that into the roles having that one-on-one and make sure it's consistent.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm sure that you guys have all the usual Slack channels or whatever to have direct conversation. I'm curious what would happen if you make those more frequent, right? If they end up being like bi-weekly or weekly, I'm curious what difference might happen when we used to work in the office, we used to see each other on a daily
1: basis, right? Except for Sundays, Sundays, right? So I'm worried that there comes a time when also as a manager, you don't want
0: to micromanage somebody. Yeah, yep, yep. You have to feel like that they are trusted. A level of autonomy is key. That's the way I like to work, right? I like to have autonomy over what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Yeah. I mean, certain people work better that way. So you also don't want to have
1: that micro. And a lot of times, y- your talks become more just like, "Hey, I think you're still doing great. What's going on with your life, or what's you know what's happening, you know?" And
0: especially good now. Yeah, <laughs> with, man, that's what I'm about to say. Like in this era of the pandemic and work from home and disconnection, that's what I find my one-on-ones being a lot more of. Right, like it's less like work and more about like personal life. Right. Yeah. I don't
1: know as a manager you just care and you have to be like hey I'm here and I might not have all the right answers for you but I'm pretty sure we can go find those answers together if you need help those are the things I mean it's different I mean especially w- with the next project that I, I worked on was Demon Souls remake for PS5 yeah we did
0: that Ooh. for the PS5 that's a launch title no that was a launch title tell me about that man I've never been on a launch title I've been told launch titles, and I
1: can see why they're so hard to do. Right? It's because there's a lot of pressure to make Tiny. sure. You, yeah, you have to locked. get it done. A lot of people don't want to sign up for that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it, it, it is hard to make a, a good game, and you know, it's just a lot of pressure. You sign up for something, you kind of have to do it. You got to see that follow through. I suspect
0: too that it was a rolling target, like. I don't think PlayStation had their launch date until like Xbox dropped their launch date. Unless you guys knew already, like, hey, this day, this one has got to be ready.
1: No, I think what they did was just kind of, we had a general idea. You know, it's one of my favorite things. Like I've been reading lately and more, but seeing lately is like, make a plan, take that plan and throw it out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Why is that? You kind of make a plan. You just say, hey... I think it's coming out in November, right? And so that's all you could shoot for, right? Or something like that. Yeah. But once, you know, there's all these deciding factors that come into play. And so you can't schedule every little bit of it. And so you just make a general plan and you you lead your troops that way. Mm -hmm. And you basically have to throw that plan away because things (laughs) always
0: get in the way. How has that served you? Is that kind of your general strategy in warfare these days? I think what you have to do is just plan,
1: but you plan loosely and you adjust. You have to be agile. Fell fast is a big thing that I like to say and hear often from people. It's like you, you get in there, you fell fast, you fix it. You know, the way that if you can get it in there really quick and fell fast, make sure it doesn't work, just don't spend time on it kind of deal. But yeah, I mean, with coming off Shadow and going into Demon, yeah, Demon Souls, we had what, 12 animators, four technical animators. So I grew my team three times.
0: Damn. Yeah. Much bigger scope, much larger amount of resources and assets in that world. That world was huge. It was huge. But I mean, that's
1: where I think I, I kicked my management skills. A lot more times, man. It was
0: it was a lot of work and managing. How are you empowered to grow as a manager? You know, hey, now all of a sudden your team has grown threefold. Do you have support from the team to like, all right, Chris, is how we're going to help you level up as a manager? Or is it kind of all self-driven? A lot of it's self-driven. I hate to do this, but I think a lot
1: of the companies I've been at and I've seen, a lot of companies like to promote a great artist. Mm-hmm. Right. And they promote them, but they don't train them correctly what a good lead is. And some people don't really have that like self driven learning of how to become a lead. They just think, hey, this works for me. Yeah. And this is how I was led. And so this is how I should lead everybody else. I remember doing that. And this is the funny story is that I had lunch with my old manager at Retro and I, I apologized to him. You said, I'm sorry <laughs> for what? I told him I'm sorry. I said, it, I didn't understand how much work it was to be a manager. And I always thought you guys were just sitting behind a room drinking beers or whatever. I was just kidding. But I, I thought it was a lot easier and I didn't really understand the troubles of being a manager. And so I apologize to him because, you know, I I thought of you wrong. I thought you were just neglecting me,
0: but it's just a lot of, it's a lot of work. That brings up a word that's come up a lot on the show. As I talk to people in game industry and the development process, right. And it's how do you go about understanding the shoes of the other person and empathy is a word that comes across as we can always learn more, apply more, do better with, right. It's like, Hey, I'm a direct report and I think my boss's job is super easy and he's not doing a great job at it. I can be more empathetic to be like, okay, realistically, what is my boss's job? How bad could it be? How hard could it be? And in the other direction, right? Like, I'm a boss, I'm a manager. My direct report is good, bad, whatever. I'm going to put myself in their shoes and try to see it from their perspective. So, It sounds like until you were a manager, you didn't know what it was like. And once you were, you were able to empathize more with other managers or your previous managers.
1: Yeah, it is. Empathy is, I think, if more people had empathy in this world, this world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. And that includes me.
0: (laughs) I could use a lot more empathy. I feel like you have a natural, maybe not natural, but you have a strong association with it, right? You are a big people person. I think you are on the high end of having great people skills to communicate, to talk, to to welcome, to invite, to make people feel comfortable, to take a shitty situation and make it like, hey, this is not that bad. It could be way worse, right? Like, let's do our fucking job, right? And stop complaining kind of thing. Yeah, to a certain point. Mm, (laughs) I mean, mm. I, I think I grew
1: up, I was a Navy brat. And so, you know, I moved every three to four years. And that made me start to adapt. You have to make new friends every four years. You have to be, it made me stronger to be able to go to a place and start brand new and meet friends. I mean, school, was difficult let's be honest Shit, yeah
0: there's clicks there's you know there's bullies there's
1: everything out
0: there and when you're an outsider coming in right how do you permeate how do you like break into those groups
1: yeah and luckily i mean i only had to do that at a younger age and not really like high school because that's when it starts to get high school's rough bro. i was already established by then but being started you kind of have to be that friendly kind of person and start to read people pretty early on it is a skill But it's also empathy and understanding those people and what they're going through.
0: I like that, man. Like the ability to read people. Again, going back to the thing you talked about, how I have a team of direct reports, a lot of different personality types, people that want to be managed different ways, things that work for one doesn't work for the other. And you have to be able to, to discern those and quickly, right? The quicker you do, the more effective your team will be, the better you are and the project benefits at the end of the day. It's interesting to see your roots as a Navy brat lead to be key characteristics that make you into an effective director when you're a director
1: you do have new people come on a quickness sometimes you know like i had to bring on i think it was like six animators brand new coming Mm -hmm. on like in a two-month period we just had to bring in a lot of people really quick and so learning all their traits and personalities you know some were brand new from school some were veterans and so you just get this mixture of all around different people and so you have to pick it up really quick
0: Do you have any tools or mechanisms to help with that, right? As you have done it for so long, I don't know. I'm curious, right? You like taking people out for drinks? Are you regularly meeting? Here's a Myers-Briggs. Take this thing, right? Like shit like that. I think the
1: the biggest one I'm always leaning on is transparency. And I like to disseminate information between the team. Information is always key and communication is key. You know, different companies do different things in every way. But when Slack was introduced... It was difficult at first because people would have private chats. Yeah, one-on-ones. One-on-ones, yeah, on the side. And I had to train myself and build habits among my guys to be like, just use the open channel. If it's about work, what does it matter? You want to show your work? Don't be afraid of showing your work. Like It's okay. You just have to understand when you're going to show your work that people are going to have comments on it. Yes, you're putting yourself out there. You have to start to build that filter of saying this is good comment this is a bad comment this is oh yeah i I see this i had to get with my guys and say hey stop doing the private chats everything goes through public channels i don't want any of these private chats if it's about work if you say hey i want to go grab lunch i'm okay with you you know setting that up in a a private chat you know or hey what did you eat for dinner or you see any good movies i'm not trying to cut away from you guys' talk it's just that The more communication we have as a team and we understand what everybody's working on, the better Mm. we will be as a team and the more effective we will be. Absolutely, That's one way I I, I think I use Slack to a benefit. And it took a while to do that. Sometimes you just, it's a constant reminder. Like, hey, I heard you were working on this. I don't, I didn't know you were working on there. Like, oh, this person asked through it on a private chat. I said, well, you have to tell this person to go through Slack in the public channel because- As a boss and a lead, you kind of have to know what's going on at all times. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that you can't trust your people not to do the right thing. I don't care. I just need to be able to have the most information to be able to say, like, if the owner comes to me and says, why is this person working on this? I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was working on it. It makes me look bad. And it also makes that person look bad, right? Nobody likes to be surprised. Yeah. So, you know, if we put it all in public channels, and I understand people's hesitation to Like having all the information out and open like that, it's because, you know, people are worried that their employees will just read everything Mm -hmm. and take too much time doing these things and reading everything. And this is where it comes to, I don't care if my people read everything if they're getting yeah. the work assigned to them done in time and they're doing it at a high level, yeah, then does it matter if they're reading all these
0: things? Right? Yeah, exactly. If they're delivering and it's high quality, nothing else really matters. What do you have to complain about at that point? Yeah, if they're doing their great job,
1: that's one route. Another one's just building that team dynamic. Something that we do is, I call it scrum, but it's not really actual scrum. It's just a Monday, Wednesday meeting. But I call it scrum because I say, anyone can join it. I don't care if you're in engineering, I don't care in your environment, if you want to join and you want to hear what animation is working on or rigging is working on, you're more welcome to join. We do that. And during that time, we usually have like questions, like what was your favorite movie? And so everybody in there will say what they're working on, if they have any blockers or, you know, when they'll be finished with something. And then the, at the end, they'll say, hey, this was my favorite movie. And so you get to learn about that person
0: a little more that you wouldn't never known about. Nice. So this is not like an icebreaker to get people talking. This is actually to develop that like personal connection with your teammates.
1: Yeah. Sometimes they'll say, "Oh, where you want to go on your next vacation?" And you're like, "Oh, I want to go to this small island off Peru." And I'm like, "What small mm-hmm. island is this?" You know. And it's just a, it's also a way
0: to learn from your fellow people about other things than work. Yeah, to that point of something came up recently too, where we were talking about I think like Pecha Kucha. It's like you know personal presentations, and the the goal there is to you don't talk about work, you talk about yourself, and you're putting this out to the team to build tighter team bonds, which allow you guys to be more direct with each other, right? Like, hey, I got to give you feedback, or You know, I need to talk to you about some serious work things, nothing personal, but and and it usually builds tighter team bonds when you get to know each other on a more personal level. Yeah. I like that you sneak that in there in your scrums.
1: I I think I stole that from the QA team. I heard them doing it. And so I was like, you know, this this is the thing you, you borrow. Sorry. I didn't steal. You borrow borrow these great ideas. Like they did the question thing and I was like, oh, we should do this to spice it up a little and learn more. How did you learn that that was going on in the QA? Oh, that's interesting because my office was right by the QA pit. And so I could hear them kind of go around saying, oh, this is what we learned in this department or done. And a lot of times they would stop around animation because they knew I was always listening. <laughs> and so I would be like, oh, that's not correct. D- this is what we're really doing. Or, And so I would listen all the time and just... It, and it was great because then I understood like what they learned from environment or what learn from VFX. And so that was like my inner information pool.
0: I like that, bro. A lot of people shit on the open office because of distractions and people are loud or whatever. But to that point about transparency and communication and being in the know it's really helpful for that, right? Open offices are really conducive to being a fly on the wall, hearing what the other disciplines, departments, and teams are doing, and being very inviting to pick up information and either correct, right? To be like, hey, I heard you guys talking about this in animation, and actually, Let me give you the real story behind that or the real information or here's a link. Check it out. Oh, the other thing. Oh, I actually didn't know about that. Let's have a meeting. Let's sync up. Exactly. I mean, the more information,
1: the better you can have those. Let's get back to all the way from the beginning. Those crave discussions. Creative, not arguments, creative discussions. Right. Because if you don't know about something, you can't have those creative discussions. Mm-hmm. So that's why it, a lot of it's transparency and communication and having that right information to people
0: who want to have more creative discussions. Dope. I like that. And then, so when you talk about the public channels, is this like disciplines, your team specific, like animation, hashtag animation channel kind of thing? Basically,
1: yeah. And Slack, cool. it was animation.
0: Yeah, we, we consider that animation rigging. Animation and, breaking. Okay. Yeah.
1: I believe we were we were the probably the most active channel except for Navy Random.
0: Dope, man. Those metric statistics should help you out when you're at year end reviews and there' <laughs> your boss is looking at the things you've done for the year. Yeah. That's good stuff. One other thing is building teams is before COVID,
1: we used to go movie outings or you know, we used to go out to team lunches. And uh, the one thing Blue Point was great about is they, they would pay for that kind of stuff. There's like a team building budget that managers have. Yeah, it, it was great to be able to, you know, bring those people and have a meal with them. I mean, that's the original way of how you become
0: a family, right? Breaking bread. Definitely, man. I think the times we went out for food together, Wing Stop, Alamo, Draft House. Damn, there was this other place. I think Cat Daddy's was a good spot back in the day. A lot of good things, but absolutely, man! Just being able to unplug, get out of get out of the office, Korea House, barbecue. Oh man, damn, damn, Austin, Austin, you got so good, so, such good food, dude! I like it, I like it. Team building, all the time and investment. It can always be more, and it always pays dividends. Yeah, it, it has. I'm lucky. I have a really great group of guys. When you're hiring, what are you looking for? When you have headcount and you're looking for new blood, new talent, are you looking at demo reels? Are you looking for technical skills? Are you looking for soft skills? What would you say to anybody trying to break in as an animator in the game industry or particularly for your team? Demo reels is one of the things I look at. I like demo reels
1: that are really just sweet and short and clean. You know, Really, the first 10 seconds, I need to be wowed. If I'm not wowed, maybe I'll jump around throughout your timeline real quick. And then if not, I kind of quit out and that's kind of done. I, I don't really have much time. When you're looking at it, you're looking through so many reels. You're looking mm. through so many resumes. You're looking through... You have to catch my eye. Also, if you have music that I really hate on it, sometimes it gets turned off.
0: Oh, wow. So what do you think? Like, Is music needed? Should you leave it out? I'm a big
1: fan component of no music. Just because more likely you might offend somebody's,
0: you know, your taste of music might be different than someone else's taste of music. For sure. Yeah, I think that's an obvious flag to me, man, is saying that people's different musical tastes may lose you a job. So it seems like it does more harm than potential good. So why have it in there at all?
1: It's more of a distraction, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I can get by with my dislike of music if you have really great animation, but, you know, sometimes the music's way too loud with the headphones you're wearing, you know? And this is what someone told me and when I wasn't going to school, is the more reasons they can find just to turn off your Dumbarill is what they're looking for, because they were like, any reason to just take this off? Because they used to do this
0: with VHS tapes. To kick it out of the tape
1: Yeah. yeah, you just remember like the days of stacks when you send like your demo reels as animators. We used to have to send these VHS tapes out to get, yeah. try to get jobs. And so they, the person watching, it had to pop it into the VHS machine, play it. And if it's not
0: rewound, just say if it wasn't rewinding. Oh, God, people would do that. Oh, yeah, your tape wasn't rewound. <laughs> Then, then that's instant, right? Like, eject, done, next, toss it. Damn, those analog days were rough, bro. Damn. Yeah. Dang. So, like, is there anything in there that's, like, a must-have? Like, it's like, yo, every demo reel should have a walk cycle, a run cycle. I want to see face expression, reactions, things like this. Animation in general. I mean, I don't – you could animate a stick figure. If
1: it's great animation and it shows personality, mm-hmm. it's going to be – Wow, so it doesn't matter what if it's a run cycle. In games, it's nice, like, say that if you're a little more seasoned, that you understand how games work, and that means, like, ending in a cycle. You know, like, ending in that idle pose, and making sure that you start in that idle pose, you end in idle pose. Oh, okay, that's a nice little tidbit. Because that's how games are made a lot of times, right? For me, as if you're, like, a super season, or even... Any animator, like I'm looking for that you have that eye to be able to get your demo reel down to that 30 seconds or a minute, right? right? If you're putting everything in there, that means that you don't have that eye of saying which ones are bad or which ones are great. Ah, That also goes so far in animation that... You have to have that critical eye because you also don't want to be that micromanager telling that person, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is bad, this is bad. You want them to have that on their own head and their own mind and be able to see that in their eye, like saying that animation, I need to fix that, yeah. right? That's what you're yeah. looking for yeah. is that person with that critical eye. But I mean, not saying that you can't show all your stuff. I think it's just a whole different, it's more of a show reel, right? To say, hey, you want to see more? Go to this website or go to this link, and I have all my work,
0: right? Yes. Okay. Here's a teaser of what I can do. If you want to see more, you know, here's a full movie kind of thing. Click on this Mm -hmm. link. Got it. Got it. You know,
1: those are the first things you do is when trying to get a job, right? You're trying to show your good foot. The other thing after that is that I would probably be like, hey, let's set up an interview. Make sure, let's just talk and make sure that. Your expectations for the team that you want to join is what we're looking for. It's a two-way conversation. You know, and then after that, a lot of times I was not a big fan of giving animation tests out or rigging tests or things like that. But I like to go through those first steps just to make sure that I think you would fit well and that mm-hmm. we would fit well and what you think that you want to join a team would be. And then I give you the tests and I say, hey, you could take up to a week, up to a day, whatever you want to finish this task and whatever that is. And then just tell us how long you spent on it is what a lot of times what I like to do, because not everybody's going to have 40 hours to spend on a
0: test. You know? No, man, not if we got a full-time job and we got other, you know, family and things like this responsibilities. And so I
1: I understand that. And I also don't want to, I I believe life and, you know, life out of work is one of the most important times that you can have and precious. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like to try to take that much of a person's time. So I try to say, hey, you know, you figure out how long you want to spend on this. And there's no, no trick question like, oh, you don't <laughs> spend 40 hours on <laughs> this. I don't do that. Like if you want to spend 16 hours, yeah, then spend 16 hours. But that 16 hours, you better, you know, make it look good for what the 16 hours. You know, in my head, I know what I think you should be at an eight hour, 16 hour, 32. The other thing is don't try to lie either. I mean, I don't think I've ever had someone to lie, but I could tell like, oh, this is around, you
0: spent 60 hours better than 20 hours. I kind of know that. Like, like, (laughs) I can see people doing that, like taking a week, but like, oh yeah, I whipped this together in two days because I'm nice like that. No, sometimes, you know, maybe they're that great, but honestly, most of the times it, it doesn't work out. I would have fought you on that. That's tough, right? Like why not just make a consistent time box for every applicant so you can kind of grade them on the same foundation. But I think it definitely shows a level of maturity to scope the work for yourself and bring that to the table. Be like, hey, there's how much time I allocated. This is what I want to do in that time. And this is how far I got. That's a great conversation to have depending on the level of seniority you want to bring this person on to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's Horrible say, but it's all of a test. Okay, that's
1: the main part of the test. It is all of a test, right? It, oh. Like every little bit of it's a test. Mm. Like you're not just reading. I mean, say that you say you're like, I give you 40 hours to finish this test. What's yeah. to say that they don't spend 10 more hours on it? That's true. You're right. Like ah, well, I could see that. Like it, it doesn't mean they're, they're really going to spend 40 hours on it. So what does it matter? Just say if you want to spend eight hours on it. Just explain and we'll talk about it and we'll be like oh, these are great, like a great animator could show you the greatest key poses out of an animation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if they're amazing key poses, you're like, this guy knows what he's doing, and he did this in like three hours, great. Okay, maybe we'll send that test back and be like, hey, can you just like polish up these
0: 60 frames or 30 frames so we can see that you can bring it to the next level for us. That's inviting, right, to be like, this is the part we really want you to dive in on, go crazy, and that's actually what they would be doing on the job, right? So that's valuable. Yeah, it
1: is. And so in other things, like sometimes we get feedback and we wonder if this person's going to take feedback well or mm. not well. That's a big part. It is a big part because, you know, I mean, a lot of part of animation directing is like you're, you're critiquing animations at all times and you need to make sure that person takes feedback very well.
0: Yeah. And, and sometimes it takes practice to give and receive, recognize what's effective so I know a lot of people that are in the game for animation. And when I talk to them about, hey, where do you want to be? Where do you want to get to in this space? Like, Yo, I want to be an animation director. That's, that's end all, be all, right? And there's definitely that branching path that happens in a career path where it's like, okay, I want to be specialist. I want to keep going. I want to be principal, whatever. Or I want to be director, right? I do want to have a team, manage a team. And I would welcome your thoughts on the responsibilities of being an animation director, right? Like, what are the things that your boss is breathing down in your neck for to round out that picture of like everybody's like oh yeah this is what i want to be this is the job i want to do it's like help ground that or bring some the realistic beast of the role right think the things that stress you out i mean for me that
1: stresses me out my bosses honestly they're pretty chill they know that i'm doing the best i can and they know i will do the job so they don't really breathe out my neck too much I think it's me. I mean, I'm self-critical on myself, a lot of points. And so from I look at other games and seeing where technology is going or where animation is going. Let's say like Red Dead 2 and The Last of Us 2. And some of those games bars. are are huge, but it, it never really just falls on animation. Like I've told a story plenty of times. For Red Dead 2, I was playing the multiplayer and I was riding by this guy, he was another online player, and he was skinning an animal. And I remember I was like, I'm gonna slow down. And, and then we kind of like stared at each other, looking at each other, thinking if one of us is going to start a problem. It's suspicious, it's us, it's us for sure online. But I mean, those are the things Like I was like, wow, that feeling that they made me have is amazing. And so, as an animation director, I'm looking for like those things. I'm looking for those moments they made me feel something. And so, I'm always pushing myself to try to figure out how do we make the game experience better in the animation point of view.
0: That was the skinning animation that no. made
1: you kind of stop and look,
0: or honestly, I think it
1: was the IK. I think his head tracked towards me because I think that's oh. where the camera was pointing, or something. Yeah. It, it was something that we both knew, you kind of locked eyes virtually. Yeah. It was, the weirdest, <laughs> it was the weirdest part. And I guess as an animation director, I mean, like you start to, when you play games, you're like, what would I wanted as a player? I'm a big component of player feedback. Oh yeah. If I hit a character, I like to see that he got hit or something moved, or there was some kind of particle that showed me that he was damaged in a way. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to add that everywhere, you know, those additive hits to make, sure it feels like you're contacting that enemy or boss that you you know that something
0: happened additive animations for those that don't know and and correct me on any interpretation i have right but you have your main animation that's playing on the full rig or full skeleton and then additive animations can be like a little like arm gesture right that it got hit or punched that just it overlays not overlays but it, it literally plays on top of it plays on top of that's what an additive is
1: you got it right look at you i'm proud of you i know some things (laughs) i'm working on the engine side you learn some things as an animation director i guess you're always pushing forward and looking at those things but i think i have a different perspective Mm. because i come from a technical animation and so i also look at how do we make this better for the animator or how do we make it quick and seamless where it doesn't I'm not just throwing bodies at the problem.
0: Yeah, bro. It's easy to throw bodies at the problem, throw
1: money at it. Yeah. I like working smart. Try to figure out where the hiccups better than just saying, well, this just has to be a manual process. And so that's, I mean, being a small team, you kind of have to do that, right? You have to. With the timelines you have nowadays, games are so much bigger and they still want the exact same, they want this better quality Mm -hmm. longer time experience, gameplay, and things are just getting harder. So how do you do certain things like that?
0: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like players want bigger, better for the same amount of money. And teams, like you said, you can only throw so many bodies at a problem. And there's there's a point there where you have to make smart decisions, right? Like, hey, how do we scale effectively? And a lot of that lies on tool set, right? And pipelines and things like this toolset looking at new technology out there. Yeah. That brings me to a good segue. This is, And this is kind of the last question I had on my sheet. You talk about Red Dead 2. You talk about Last of Us 2. You talk about technology shifts. Where is it going? Where do you see the big strides in game animation coming from? Or what are the trends? Or where is it heading? That's a good question. Maybe it's from film, right? Maybe it's not from games, but
1: just curious to get your thoughts. For me, like a lot of people love VR. I'm not a big VR component yet. It's just having something around my face is not a big thing. So I'm not a big VR fan. So like the claustrophobic side it, of it? A, like? a little. It mm. just it also disorients me a little. Sure. I'm one of those lucky people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so VR is not. Film. I, I don't know. For animation, I want to say like AI driven almost. Ooh, I could talk about that. Like I, I think AI stuff and I'm going to throw out words that I don't really understand
0: really, like neural yeah. network oh, things yeah. like that. So we could talk about that because that's super interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because the things I've seen both at Amazon and other places I've been at or some conferences, it's super interesting, man, where they pipe in all the different animations. And then they pipe in all the different kinds of verbs and actions you can take. And they let the neural network kind of parse it through and they tag it. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then pretty much you can have a biped walking by itself, tripping, falling, picking itself back up. And it's all neural network driven. Like you're not tagging to say, hey, transition to this animation and blend with these. The shit just like auto does it. That's mind-blowing. But I'm glad you brought that up because that is an excellent use of AI. Right, because I feel like we're constantly reanimating the same shit over and over and over and over for for a bit,
1: you know? Exactly. I mean, like, I don't want to say games haven't really changed or evolved. But, I mean, we've done the same things like running to walking to sprinting (laughs) to jumping. And every time we do it, we, we all do it in a different way and we always recreate that new system or running upstairs or running downstairs, whatever
0: it is. Do rigs change a lot? Like I feel like biped rigs, what do you, you, you probably, you don't add more joints really. Like skeletons are pretty. No, not really.
1: I mean the new technology on this, the newer stuff is like something I want to get into, but it's expensive. It's like muscle deformers you know, I mean, and they're heavy. I mean, an engine has to work for it, you know, blend shapes and things blend like that. Shapes. And a lot of engines do that now, blend shapes. But it is a process that takes a while to get looking good.
0: Yeah, it always takes manual effort and time to refine. The computer's going to get you so far, but it still takes human resources to polish it up perfectly
1: yeah i mean we're getting bigger and better games right that like yeah, take five in a game session i'm hoping this is what's going to happen is more indie studios i mean it's happening now right indie gamers are still making their games mm-hmm. but I, I i hope that they get the tools they need to make games that are are like you know eight hours short six hours it does not have to be yeah Like the thirty or forty hour game. Yeah. But be able to make the games that we used to make, which is kind of crazy because they've done that, right? Like Mario Maker. What is that? Super Uh Mario Maker. Yeah. You know, things like that are awesome to be able to make and allow people to make games like
0: that or make levels. I haven't touched it. I just keep hearing about it. And they recently went public too. Is Roblox. Roblox is this big up and coming beast of like Build whatever you think of. Play however you want to play. And the community is just bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, by the dip. By the dip. <laughs> <laughs> it, seems, you know, it seems like they IPO'd and they just skyrocketed. Bro. I was like, when when the hell do I get in on this game? When the hell do I get in? Because you're supposed to come in pre-IPO. <laughs> Jeez. I want to be respectfully at time. Is there anything you want to cover or talk about that we haven't covered or talked about? Just always, always
1: try to improve. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. always looking at how to make a better studio and you know how to make a better studio and how to be a better manager, how to be a better role model.
0: Yeah, we talked about it. I don't know where it's at now, but you mentioned like wanting to put a book together to share the knowledge you've developed with other teams of the studios. Is that a thing still? Maybe it's an audiobook only, Audible exclusive. You know, I keep a Google Doc here and there. Nice. And it's uh, around to it.
1: nine pages right now. It's hey, it, it's not structured in any way. It's like, oh, this is a great story. Like storyify this, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. so I put enough information in there for me to figure out how to storyify. So I'm, I'm always a person that's always like starting something new and always wants to learn something new and always do something new. Yeah. And so you you have a lot of things going at one point, and then you stop it. You do something else. But this book will always be ongoing for me and self-learning. It's a process.
0: I like that, man. Always be learning, looking on ways to grow, be better at your craft. Yeah, so for animators out there, is there any resources you'd like to share to be like, hey, this is a great conference or this is a good book or this is a good talk, right? This helped me out a lot. Be a better animator or tech animator or people manager. Any resources like that you would care to point to or share? Let me think. I think it was a good to great. Oh, good good to great.
1: Yeah, I've read good to great. I think that was a good book. But the one nugget on that was about the leaders and how they, all of them, like when you're a leader and you're on the top of your tier, it's never about what you do. It's about what your team does. You know, and they always say like I'm lucky,
0: or it was because of my team. Yeah, they they're not hogging all the spotlight. Yeah, Good to Gray by James Collins. Yeah, yeah. I remember my biggest takeaway was the way that certain companies were built up solely on the strength of the CEO or the founder, uh-huh. and if they didn't set up the culture properly, that as soon as that guy left or retired, the company went down. It went down. Like, yeah, that and that's the things like
1: when it was all about you. And mm. you don't teach your people and that culture is not there when you leave. Everything just kind of falls apart. The other one was like four-hour work week. Yo, is that the uh, Tim, Tim Ferriss? Ferris. Yeah. Like, it, like some of these things are, you know, like you, you take the little nuggets out of there. And Tim Ferriss taught me like, don't be the bottleneck. Don't be the bottleneck.
0: Yeah. Hey, like, that's a good nugget. That's a hell of a good nugget. You know, he was like,
1: I want to own this business. And I, I don't honestly, I don't want to run it. So Mm -hmm. why am I going to be the bottleneck for that? Like, why does everything have to go through me? Get great people to do things
0: for you. And so that was a big one. That's a good one, man. Like, it goes back to your thing on information transparency, right? Like, don't hoard the knowledge. Yeah. Put it out there in public channels. Document it on the Confluence. Let people know about it. Make it discoverable. And that'll remove bottlenecks and extend the team.
1: The other one, this one's leadership and self-discipline. Oh, I don't think I've heard of that one. That that was a good one. Leadership and self discipline. Getting yourself out, getting out of the box. Who, who's the author? The Arbinger Institute. Okay, that was a that was a good one. It, it goes through a story base, kind of teaching you through a story base, and that was a bigger nugget. You, you just kind of have to see how they represent it. It's a good one. I enjoyed that
0: one. All right, I'll put that on the list, man. Thank you so much for your time, cause I mean I, I appreciate your time. The ritual we have on the show is. If you, Chris, had a good time falling out of play area, if there's anyone you would nominate to fall out of play area
1: behind you. I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning now. It's the only podcast I've listened from the beginning. Damn. Well, you've been around since it launched this year. So that's nice. And this is the only podcast I've ever did an interview for. So I have a few people I've been thinking about. And so it's always hard. I mean, I would love to nominate everybody in my life. Everybody is amazing and they've all impacted me in, in a way. But I'm gonna go with most recent and kind of out of our bubble. Ooh, someone I don't know. His name is Gavin Moore. He was our creative director for Demon Souls. He's an amazing person. He was been an amazing teacher to me. I would call him Family now. Family? That's special. He's family. Other ones be like June Mickey. She is, she also works for Sony and she does a lot of many things. I can't say like what she did particular, but she made things happen.
0: That's a good trait. She made things happen. And so I, I would like to get her nominated too. That's dope, man. I appreciate it. two nominations, Gavin and June. We're yeah. gonna come at you with some invites. See if you accept. It's on you. Chris Torres, bro. We're done, bro. Uh, Thanks for falling out. I think this is going to be one of the better ones. Again, first animation director, second animator. A lot of awesome insight. And I'm excited. Big news, you coming up to Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait, man.
1: I can't wait to... Since I'm fully vaccinated, I'm pretty sure I can give you a hug.
0: Yes! I'm so hug starved, bro. (laughs) I look forward to that. All right, man. I'm going to sign off. I'll let you go. Take care, cuz. All right. Take care. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on, man. And it's been an honor. My man. Peace. This industry is all about creative discussions, huh? As a tech designer, I got love for TAs like Chris who work to enhance their team's efficiency and write tools to make their lives easier and less error-prone. One of my favorite parts in these interviews is hearing what's inspired someone down their path and into the industry, and Pixar's Toy Story is a movie that I feel like most of us can relate to having sparked something within us, as many Pixar movies do. You know I'm a Nintendo fanboy the way I marvel at his time at Retro working on Donkey Kong. I don't care who you are, that's sweet cred in this industry. How many of you grew up rocking the NES or the Super NES? I still have every Nintendo console, save for the Wii U, because do I need to say more? Remote work can take a toll on managers and directors who like to micromanage or have a communication issue on their team. So I like a few of the tips he dropped there on fostering transparency and pushing his team to over-communicate on the public Slack channels so that information is widely available to anyone who needs it whenever, as well as frequent one-on-ones, especially while we're away from the office. I myself have weeklies with my manager and I find them extremely valuable to reaffirm how work is going and keep that 360 feedback going smoothly. So there are no surprises come promotion or review time. As of publishing this episode, Chris has now moved back to his hometown, Seattle, Washington. So if you see him out there, send him some love. On episode 13 of Out of Play Area, debuting Monday, July 19th, we bring our first 3D artist, Corinne Scrivens, a principal artist for Polyart Games in Seattle. We go through her journey breaking in, working at Bungie on Destiny, and how she keeps growing in her career, and where that's led her today. You won't want to miss it, so make sure to follow so you get notified when that episode drops. Thank you for listening, devs. If you found this informative, I ask that you pay forward a link to a developer to help grow our listener community or share it on social media. If you're a game developer with a story you think could help a fellow developer out, please go to outofplayarea.com and click on the Cadlinly link on the top of the site to meet up. Please make sure you get approval from your manager or studios, PR or HR team beforehand out of play area releases new episodes every other monday on all the major platforms including apple and spotify please make sure to follow so you see what development pushes out of play area next time i'm your host john diaz till next time devs stay strong stay true stay dangerous mega ran bring them home fam Fight attendants, prepare for takeoff Captain, crew please take your seats We are now about to enter the out-of-play area. If you can't reach me, I apologize. Since we out of play, I never compromise. John D, NYC, know we got the vibe. Make sure you hit that follow when you hit subscribe. Out-of-play area podcast. Out-of-play area podcast. It's just a little something for the game devs. Stay strong, stay true, and stay dangerous. Had to switch the styles for a challenge. Best thing out of Harlem since young Miles Morales. A new podcast comes to provide the balance. With game devs, veterans and rising talents. Out of play. Welcome to the Out of Play Area Podcast. A show by game devs for game devs. With no ads, no BS, just the real. Welcome to the Out of Play Area. Let's go.